0: Good morning. It's good to be together today. It's been said a couple of times, and we certainly appreciate you being here today, especially you're visiting with us. We invite you back any time that you can be here and hope that you're benefited and edified by being here this morning. It's our, certainly our desire uh, for that to happen. I appreciate Callan's prayer on my behalf, and I would echo his sentiment that um, the things that we studied would be God's Word, uh, that they would be edifying to you, and I hope that you'll find them interesting and beneficial this morning. Have you ever wished you had somebody else's life? You know, we think about our society, I think about athletes and movie stars and all the famous people that we think about and people dream about and wish they had their fame and their fortune and all those things. We're not talking about them necessarily this morning. Have you ever wished you had somebody else's life that you know, somebody that's sitting next to you on a pew this morning? you know, I'll look around this room and think about the talents and skills that I see in this room. There's people that are significantly better singers than I am. There's people that are significantly better teachers than I am. There's people that are significantly better looking than I am, that have more money, that are younger than I am. There's people that are older than I am, that have significantly more wisdom than I do. And we think about things like this in our life, and it's an it's a never-ending cycle. We're talking about attitudes of the heart this month, and today we're going to talk about envy a little bit. The Bible addresses envy a lot, and it talks about it a lot. And so I hope that you'll find the things that we talk about this morning interesting, and I think you'll be benefited by the by the study. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the works of the flesh, and As we talk about attitudes of the heart this month, you know, some of those things are sort of negative attitudes of the heart. Like we're talking about this morning, some of those things are a lot more positive, like joy and love and those types of things. He lists these 10 or 12 sins here in Galatians chapter 5 that he calls the works of the flesh. And he says these are evident. And he lists all these things that we read about a lot. And envy is among those things. And he says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I want us to, I guess, initially this morning, understand the significance of envy. And we should call it what it is, and it's sin. You know, we we read these lists like this in the Scriptures, and things like murder and adultery and fornication, and we want to categorize sin. We want to put sin into buckets, and I think envy is one of the sins that we would put in the bucket of it's not quite as big a deal as adultery or murder or fornication. And so let's understand this morning that it is a big deal. And I hope to demonstrate that to you with the scriptures. You know, it wouldn't have made a list like this if it wasn't. And people have had significant problems with envy all throughout time. And we're going to read some examples of those people and talk about some of those scriptures but I want us to really understand that, that it is a big deal. And there may be no other scripture that, that that teaches that to us than Matthew chapter 27, when it says, they gathered together and Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Envy sent the Lord to the cross. And as we talk about attitudes of the heart this month, they're certainly all related. You know, we talk about Howard talked about self-control Wednesday night. Jason talked about joy. and Both people in those lessons talked about selfishness. We're going to talk about selfishness this morning as well. It's all related. But envy sent the Lord to the cross. So let's have a mindset where we understand that there's danger in it. And I think it will help us to do a better job. I want to talk briefly about the difference in envy and jealousy. There's not much. And you read scriptures in the Bible that, kind of use them interchangeably. We certainly use them interchangeably in our own speech. By definition, really the only difference I think is envy is essentially talking about things, possessions or things that we would want, whereas jealousy is talking about other people. Jealousy is you might resent somebody else. Jealousy is, you know, I, envy is I wish I had your house. Jealousy is, you know, I'm worried you're going to take my girlfriend, that type of thing. And so I don't want to dwell on that too long, but we are going to read some scriptures that say jealousy instead of envy or that say covet instead of envy and things like that. And I just want to understand there's some subtle differences there, but it's a fine line. And when we're talking about envy, we're talking about jealousy. And when we're talking about jealousy, we're talking about coveting things. And the scriptures don't paint a pretty picture of any of it. Nowhere that we read about envy in the Bible is it talked about in a good light. It's always negative in every scenario, unless I miss something. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17 says, You shall not cover your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Since the beginning of time, mankind has struggled with this. It was in the Ten Commandments. We see envy really in the garden. In some of the early examples we read about, In Moses' writings, we see it all throughout time. People have struggled with this. And God addressed it early on. And it's like we said, it's never talked about in a positive light. And so we read scriptures like this that say you shouldn't covet all these things that are your neighbors. And what do we do? We covet our neighbor's house. And we covet our neighbor's wife. And we covet all all these things that our neighbors have. And we look at the possessions that they have. And we want all those things. And we do exactly what God tells us not to do. Let's be careful of that and watch it. I came across um, several quotes that I want to read to you um, doing some research on this. This one man named Harold Coffin said, Envy is the art of counting another man's blessings instead of your own. You ever found yourself doing that? Thinking about how lucky or blessed somebody else is over what you are? We want to look at all the things that they have or the luck that they had and that they got the promotion and they get to do all the fun stuff and they went on all these cool trips and look at all these toys that they have. We spend all our time worrying about somebody else's blessings instead of what we have. That's what envy is. And he I think he summarized it pretty good. Another person said, envy has a malicious nature to it that seeks to do harm to others. Envy loves to traffic in gossip and slander and hatred and retaliation and even thievery and murder. Socrates wrote about it and said, regarding the effects of envy, he said, Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the begetter of secret sedition, the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, venom, a poison, a quicksilver, which consumeth the flesh and drieth up the bones. I think those guys understood that envy is not just a casual sin. And we're going to read some of these examples this morning of of what it did to people and how envy consumes them, like he talks about there. It consumes you, and it rots the soul. I think about all the examples that we think about, Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers and the situation he found himself in. Maybe nobody else that's a better case study in envy than King David. You know, we read, several different things in his life that I think add value to this conversation about envy. This story that we read about with him and King Saul in First Samuel chapter 18, I think is a kind of sets the stage for this really good. It says, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine... The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul had struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. You might remember as you continue to read on about that, how Saul looked for opportunities to take David's life and sought, sought after those opportunities and was very close on several occasions. All because David got, in his, what was in his mind, a little more praise than he got. You know, these women that came out to greet them, they weren't being critical of Saul. They were being complimentary of him. You know, they said he, you know, he, took care of 10,000. He struck down or he struck down thousands of these people. But he didn't like the fact that they said David struck down 10,000. And it's such a good example of how we are in life and the way that we treat things. You know, it's things are never good enough for us. Somebody gets a what we perceive as a better compliment or a little more praise over something. And we let it eat us up inside and so much so that Saul tried to murder David over this and it consumed the rest of his life, certainly the rest of the time while he was a king. He ended up trying to kill David over this, over something that was really not even true at the end of the day. It was just a perception on his part. Why do we envy? You ever think about that? Why do we spend so much time worrying about what other people have or how lucky other people are? I think there's some kind of fundamental reasons on that. Um, Some specific things that we do or don't do in some cases. Sometimes we do things that lead us down that road where we start to think about these things and get jealous and envious of people. Sometimes we're not doing the things we should be doing and sort of envy fills the gaps, I think. Number one is selfishness, as we said earlier. James addresses this, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom.'" But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James chapter 3. Selfishness is probably a root cause of half the things we're talking about this month, but it's certainly one of the foundations for envy. You know, he says the selfish ambition and bitter jealousy—they just fill your hearts. And where those exist, it's disorder and every vile practice. It's disgusting, and envy leads to these disgusting acts and behaviors. It's vile. Number two is immaturity. 1 Peter chapter 2, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that, it may, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. One of the things that we think about in terms of spiritual maturity that's commanded of us is to leave behind envy. You know, we talk a lot about Um, being babes in Christ, that, that a babe needs milk, but as you grow up in the Word, you develop a need for strong meat. And that's what he says here with envy. He said envy is a thing of babes, and we leave that behind. Spiritual maturity leaves envy behind. And envy is certainly a sign of immaturity. As we learn God's Word and understand what He would have us to do and how He would have us to behave and not behave, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He talks again about these passions and how, you know, we want to step, we, we, we want to have the best of both worlds. We want to have one foot in the things of the world that we just cannot let go of, and, but we want our godliness too, and we want our Christianity and all the benefits that come with that. And he said you can't have it. It doesn't work that way. It's all of your passions that are at war within you. And look at the things that he says. You, don't, you, don't, you desire and you don't have, so you kill somebody over it. How many times does that happen in the world we live in? Envy leads to all of these things. No other reason for somebody to murder somebody at the end of the day than envy. They're envious of something, so they kill them. And sometimes we just try too hard to do this dance with the, keeping the one foot in the world and the one foot on God's side of the fence. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 30, it says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. As we said, it's never never addressed in the Scriptures in a good way. And very often, if not almost all cases, it's significantly strong language that's used talking about envy. It's disgusting to God. And the words that are used to describe it are disgusting words, talking about making your bones rot. I read a story about a couple of men that were traveling together. One, one man was full of envy, and one man was full of greed. And these two traveling buddies um, came across a rich king at his castle. And they went before the king, and the king said to them, um, I will grant one of you, a uh, you can ask of me anything, and I'll give it to you. He said, the one condition with that is whatever you ask of me, the other person gets double. And so the envious man kind of struggling with himself, not wanting to ask the question because he's envious of what the other guy will get because of that. And the greedy man doesn't want to be the one to ask the question because he wants it all for himself. He doesn't want the envious guy to have any of it. And so there's this struggle between the two of them. And finally, the greedy man pushes the envious man to ask the question. And so he ponders and tries to think of how he can work this out. And finally he says, I wish for you to pluck one of my eyes out. Knowing that the greedy man would get both eyes plucked out. And it's kind of a funny proverb, but at the end of the day, aren't we kind of like that? If, if, if I can't have what I want, I really don't want you to have it too. And we behave like that. And it seems like such a ludicrous thing for this man to ask. Yet we see time and time again in the scriptures People that behave just like this. As we said, Cain and Abel, Joseph's brothers, David, and the various things that happen in his life. And this stuff just spirals out of control. And this one little act of envy turns into murder and theft and adultery and all these other things. And that's how we behave. And we do these awful things where this casual sin of envy turns into these awful sins that we categorize. I think there's some effects of envy too we talk about cause and effect the effects of envy loss of gratitude you know you think about the times in your life that you're just so you have your mind so made up that you want something and think about how it consumes your thoughts and maybe it consumes your actions as well and maybe you end up if it's something material you end up working extra for that or if it's a girl you end up pursuing or with all everything you got and that's all you can think about and it leads to a loss of gratitude. When we're so envious of things, we don't have time to be grateful for the things we have and the blessings we already have and have, been, and have been given. It leads to a lack of contentment. It's never enough. It's never enough. And you think about these envious men and women we read about in the Scriptures. Think about Saul. You know, what would have made him happy? If he would have ended up killing David, I don't think he would have been happy Still. And he even said in that, you know, when, when those women came out to praise him, he even said, what's next? The only thing is, you know, they're giving him all the credit. All that's left now is for him to be king. You know, he was paranoid and all the other things that come with it. But we can't be content. It leads to a lack of moral compass. I think you can certainly say that when, you, when you're when jealousy of a man that racked up bigger numbers than you in a, you know, somebody keeping score leads to you wanting to murder them, I think it's safe to say that your moral compass has gone a little south. And when we get so caught up and consumed with all these things that we want, we forget about how we're supposed to behave. We forget about what God wants us to do. The truth is, if we seek after all those things, we're not going to behave like God wants us to behave. And none of these people did either. And I think the other effect, which is, Sort of an obvious one is just the the physical attachment to the world. The selfishness and these desires and these passions that he talks about, you got to leave them behind. We've got to leave them behind. Mark chapter 7, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's defilement is what it is. And it's funny how often envy shows up in these laundry list of sins. But it's in all of them. If you you go searching through the scriptures, it's always there. Envy and jealousy and covetousness, it can ruin us. And that's what he says. It defiles us. It's very much part of the carnal man. Envy is very... If you were going to make a chart of carnal and spiritual, envy is as far on the carnal side as you can get. It has no place on the spiritual side. Everything that God asks of us and what he wants us to be is as far away from envy as you can get thinking about others first not caring about worldly possessions not being greedy after all the filthy lucre that this world has to offer envy is as far away from those things as you can get it's very much part of the carnal man what about the what we read about in the love chapter somebody will probably read this here in the next week or two 1st Corinthians chapter 13 love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. One of the things that we can sort of reason from this passage is that envy is the opposite of love. Where where envy exists, love doesn't exist. And again, we talk about love a lot, but we're not talking about the love that the world thinks love is. We're not talking about the... The pit in your stomach and all those goofy feelings and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about the love that's described in this chapter. And he said it doesn't envy. It's not envious. When we're behaving in that way, when we're behaving in a way that's envious of others, we're not going to have all these characteristics that he describes as love. The wise man understood that, I think, as you read about all of his findings and all the way that he summarized his life and all the various things that he participated in and dipped his toes in and tried his hand at. And he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, "...then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and stri- a striving after wind." This part of the world, striving after wind, is not something that's desirable. But you think about the metaphor he's using there and how you're not going to catch the wind. You're not going to catch it. And he said, even all this work and the skills that men develop, most of that's done out of greed. You know, it's a fine line between working hard like God's asked us to and putting in a good day's work and all these things. It's a fine line between that and when you're doing it because you want a little bit more. Because you like that house that somebody else has or all the toys that they have. And you develop all these skills and spend all this time working just to chase after those things. And it's just vanity, it's striving after the wind, like he said. Circle back to David's life. You know, you, think, you can't help but think about the story with Bathsheba. If you don't know that story this morning, we're not going to read the whole thing, but go read that out in... Chapters and verses previous to to these that we're going to read here. But David was out walking on the rooftop one night and saw this woman bathing. And she was desirable. And he sent for her and they had an affair. And she became pregnant. She had a child that caused David some grief. Knowing she had a husband that was serving in his army underneath him. All the things that happened there where he, you know, tried to bring Uriah back that he could spend a night with Bathsheba so that he would think the child was his. And David immediately started, this thing just started snowballing. And he tried to cover up this sin and he, you know, sent Uriah out into the hottest part of the battle where he would, where he would be killed so that he wouldn't find out about this. And you read through that whole story and you come to the end of it. And it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God hated those actions. It disgusted him. And a man that we read about being after God's own heart, one little act of envy led to all of these other things that are just unmentionable. And we can't even fathom doing those kind of things. But he let it get the best of him. He completely lost his moral compass in this situation. And that one sin that's such a casual sin to us led to all of these other things that we that we consider awful, that we categorize as awful. I want to read, we've got a little time this morning, I want to read some of this story in chapter 12, immediately following this, Second Samuel chapter 12, you might remember the Nathan, Nathan, the prophet, um, comes to speak to David. Listen listen to what he says to him, and how he he tells him a story here. and, and Listen to this story. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, "There were two men in a certain city. The one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children." He used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So he tells this story to David of this guy that had this one little lamb and took care of it and fed it and gave it stuff to drink and held it and babied that thing. And this rich man that had herds and herds of all these animals, and he was too selfish to treat a traveler out of his own herd and use his own possessions to deal with this traveling man. And so he stole this little lamb from the poor man, and used it to deal with his guest. And it disgusted David. Listen to what he says to him. Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan left his house. You think about David's writings that we read after these events happen in Psalms and the way he laments his actions and his attitudes and the things that he did and his behaviors. You think about how it just affected the rest of his life. Now, we, we can tell he recovered from that to some extent, at least in God's eyes. But there's no getting around the fact that it affected the rest of his life in ways that had to be hurtful. He lost his child because of that. We know he was torn up over that. We know by some of his writing in Psalms, how it affected him emotionally, all because of this one little act of envy. Let's treat it like it is. As we close, I want to read a passage from Titus chapter 3, where he says, "...remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle." To show perfect cur- courtesy toward all people, for we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to his various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It this passage struck me because of the fact that he specifically said to remind them of these things. You know, we, we remember how we used to be. We remember how things were before we were Christians, and it wasn't good. We were carried away by all of our own passions and envying other people and all these things. Disobedience. Remind them. Remind them to be submissive. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to not speak evil of people. All these things. Avoid quarreling. Do all these things. Remind them. He talked about these passions and pleasures that used to guide our lives. Spiritual maturity is knowing that those don't guide our lives anymore. Knowing that we think about others first, that we think about God's will first. The way we avoid envy is to avoid worldliness. The way we avoid envy is to avoid being selfish. The way we avoid envy is to be content with the things that we have and be grateful for the things that we have, not counting everyone else's blessings. That's the way that we avoid envy. Envy led Jesus to the cross. We can't let it it rule our lives. Hope you've been benefited by the study this morning. As we have all month had good studies on all of these various topics of the heart. It's it's good. It's a good reminder. And we need to think about these things. If you're here this morning and you have any need uh, of the church... Maybe you have a problem with envy that you can't let go of. You need to correct that. It'll tear up your life. If you have any other need that the church can help you with or have any desire for the church to pray with you or for you, or if you um, have a desire to obey the gospel, we offer an invitation at this time. We want to help you with that, with either of those, or any other thing that you might have a need to help with if you'll come forward as we sing this invitation song.